Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Thank you for being here this morning. Why don't you open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings. This will be our last trip through the Kings. And we're going to talk about Ahab and Jezebel. This is a, uh, can be a troubling story. I believe, though, in the end, you'll understand why it is on the docket Today, in 2003, that's a long time ago now, Josh Turner released a song entitled Long Black Train. You might remember that song and with his deep, deep voice, but uh, the lyrics, I'll just read some of them to you. There's a long black train coming down the line, feeding off the souls that are lost and crying. Rails of sin, only evil remains. Watch out, brother, for the long black train. I can hear the whistle from a mile away. It sounds so good, but I must stay away. That train is a beauty making everybody stare, but its only destination is the middle of nowhere. There was no train for Ahab and Jezebel, but if there had been, they decidedly took that ticket on the train. It ended up in the middle of nowhere. If you would stand with me as I read from 1 Kings chapter 21, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. I'm going to read from verse 1 down to verse 7. Now, Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it, or, if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face, And would eat no food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it please you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Let's pray together. Almighty God, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for this time of worship and singing with the the body of Christ. It has been um, good for my heart, and I pray it has uh, been received in the spirit of truth and and, and spirit. Um, Father, we pray this morning that you would, as we open up your word, that you would speak to our hearts. Our hearts are ready to receive your truth from your infallible and most powerful word. 
Father, I pray that you would set our hearts on fire with a love and commitment to Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. Well, let's just get down to it. The cause of the problem here is covetousness. Ahab is coveting that which is not his, and he cannot have. The covetous man or woman, especially the one who is extremely materialistic, will soon discover that money can give you a bed, but it cannot give you rest. That you can purchase all the books that money could buy, but it will not give you knowledge. That you could buy a house, and it will not be a home. That you could find food and buy food, but not an appetite. It can buy entertainment, but it cannot buy friends. God knew something about us when he put this one sin in the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments. It's the last one, Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife nor his male servant or his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. But covet we do, even to the point sometimes that we will take a life, which we'll see in our story today. I think it makes sense that God would know something about our heart. He created us, he knows us, and he is aware of what is going on in our mind and in our heart. And if you think that God knows nothing of your heart, if you think that he is unaware of you or doesn't see what's in there and you think that you can hide it from him, you are sadly mistaken. The heart of the problem is the heart. And to covet or crave something that is not ours, the Bible clearly says, is a sin. Look at your text this morning again. You've got four main characters. These names come from a, a famous sermon by R.G. Lee called Payday Sunday. He named them like this. Naboth the righteous. Ahab the vile human toad. That's his name, not mine. I didn't come up with that. But he calls him Ahab the vile human toad who squatted upon the throne of his nation, the worst of Israel's kings. Then you have Jezebel, the snake coiled upon the throne of the nation. And Elijah the revived. Ahab has a focus on his heart, and it's a vineyard that does not belong to him. That vineyard revolves, is really part of the story. It, it's almost the center of the story. If Ahab was alive today, he would enjoy watching HGTV. He would enjoy watching uh, Love It or List It, shows that really get to the heart of people. Uh, I don't like what I have. I want something better. Let's go on a TV show and make everyone else miserable with us. Like, what can we do to upgrade our house? And, and then you've got the decision at the end of the show, which is better, the upgrade that they did on our house that we already own or, or that which we don't have and probably can't afford, and now we're going to go into even more debt over this one. Like, he would like that. All this man needed, he had, as the king of Israel, the northern tribes. But in his heart, he wanted what he could not have. 
desiring to expand his house and his holdings just a bit more, he takes interest in this vineyard that belongs to Naboth and his family. And he made the offer. It's an inviting offer. He says there in verse 2, Give me your vineyard, and I'll have it for a vegetable garden. It's near my house. It's convenient. I'll give you a better vineyard, bigger, better, because it's uh, something I need. And if you don't want another vineyard, I'll give you its value in money, in silver, gold. Naboth says, no deal, man. It's no deal. Why is he saying that? He said, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. Now, did God actually say that? I was surprised to find out that there is a connection to the law in what Naboth has said. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 11, here's why Naboth is saying it. Verse 10, Deuteronomy chapter 11. The land that you are entering to take possession of, it is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated it like a garden of vegetables. But the land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water by the rain from heaven. A land that the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. So it goes back to Israel and Egypt. There, they had to cultivate what they were going to eat. He relates it to a vegetable garden. They had to water it. They had to irrigate. It's a dry land. They had to irrigate from the Nile. Right, But you caught what God said. The land that you're going to possess, the land that God is giving to Israel, is a land that he personally has cared for. Right? He is the one sending the rain. He is the reason why the scriptures describe it as a land flowing with milk and honey. And here is Ahab wanting to take a vineyard in God's land that he gave to Naboth and his family as an inheritance and turn that sweet fruit of the vineyard into a vegetable garden. I mean, it's like you offer me a a cup of Welch's grape juice or a cup of V8. Which would you take? If you say V8, you can just go, there's the door. Come on. (laughs) Come on. I mean, maybe put a little jalapeno in there and give me some chips, I'll take it. But, I mean, come on. We're going, we want the sweetness, right? We want the sweetness of God's provision. And that's what Ahab is asking Naboth to give up. Take the land that God gave you, right? I'll buy it from you. I want it because I'm going to turn it in. And there's this subtle connection back to Egypt, right? It's a reminder of what was in Egypt. There you had to work. You were enslaved. Here, God is providing everything in the land for you. It is a gift from God. And that's where Naboth has settled. And he says, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. My fathers didn't earn this. They didn't buy this. God gave it to them as a grace gift. And what was, uh, uh, what was back in Egypt was slavery and hardship to a, a taskmaster in Pharaoh. Right? Again, it's not necessarily about the, the vineyard or the land, but it helps us understand where Ahab and Naboth is coming from. What we have here, is the bigger picture, is the kingdom of God versus that of wickedness and darkness. Okay, That's what it boils down to. Ahab is over here swimming in covetousness. He's drowning in his desires for what he cannot have, while Naboth is standing on the other side of this, standing on what is right and what is righteous and holy, the word of God. Ahab has birthed in his heart 
What James says happens to us in James chapter 1, verse 15, that when desire has conceived, gives, uh, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. And we'll see that happen to Naboth. Now, Naboth the righteous, and he says, no way, the Lord forbid that I should give you that. Naboth does not see that vineyard as his own, but rather as a gift from God that God gave to his family. It's a grace gift. He stands out here as righteous because he's standing on the word of God. When you stand on the word of God, you're going to be right. You're going to be right in the center of God's will. That is never wrong to be in the center of God's will. Will you stand out? Will you look weird? Will you look not normal? Absolutely. And that has to be okay because it's the center of God's will. And that's where we are to be always. He sees that vineyard as being on loan from the Lord. And it's not his to sell. Well, Ahab takes the, uh, takes the, the, uh, the answer from Naboth and he goes back licking his wounds. He goes back and he's sulking and he's, he's tired and he's worn out and his heart is, is low. In fact, we would use the word downcast. And in comes Jezebel the snake. She sees Ahab sulking, not eating any food. You know something's wrong when the man's not eating. And so he, he's like, what, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Aren't you the king of Israel? Why aren't you acting like it? Why why aren't you forcing this man? And and his answer is, Naboth won't give me his vineyard. He won't give it to me. He's not playing fair. I offered him money. I offered him another vineyard, and he just said no. He didn't actually tell her the real reason, which was Naboth said the Lord said no. He's like, he just said no. He won't give it to me. And she says, come on, man. Sit up, son. Eat your Wheaties, and let's get with it. I'm going to get it for you. You're the king of Israel. Act like it. She had already ruined Ahab. She had already ruined his heart. And now she's going to take advantage of it. She's ready for him to take action, but he's not going to, so she's going to do it for him. Friends, there is no regard for the ways of God in Jezebel's life. She's going to do what she wants, taking that forbidden fruit that does not belong to her while her husband sits passively by and lets her. But that's what sin is. Sin is, a absolute, is an, absolutely, an absolute disregard for the authority of God. We don't think what he said to us counts or matters, or we change it to fit our way and what we want, doing what is right in your own eye, as we've already learned walking through the Old Testament. So she devises a plan, and that plan starts in verse 8. If you have your Bible, look at verse 8, and we'll go through it quickly. She wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal, and she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived in, with Naboth in his city. Hey, she started the first social media disinformation campaign. There's a collective wickedness here. It's not just Jezebel. You continue on. She writes the letters to the elders and leaders of the community of the city where Naboth lived. She says, proclaim a fast. Here's the plan. Proclaim a fast. Set Naboth at the head of the people. Set two worthless men, not holy men, worthless men opposite him. And let them bring a charge against him saying, you have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. And the men of his city and the elders and the leaders who lived in the city did as Jezebel had sent word to them. They're afraid of her. We're not going to stand up for what is right. Not going to stand on the word of God. They would have known what it was. But it's no surprise Ahab the king isn't living like that either. 
And so as it was written, he uh, continues, in the letters that she had sent to them, they proclaimed a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. And the two worthless men came in and sat opposite him. The worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned. He is dead. Not one person in that room stood up for defense of Naboth. As he stood... He took her punishment, an innocent man. Verse 15, as soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. That's the plan. She imitated his authority. She wrote letters in his name, signed it with his seal, put the plan into action. The men of the city go along with the plan, and Naboth is dead. The accusation against Naboth should should have rung a bell with somebody that that kind of accusation just didn't match his life. It, It didn't match who he was. He doesn't seem to be the one who would curse God or the king. He's the one that spoke up and said, The Lord forbid that I should sell you this gift of grace that he gave my family. But you know, what happens in Jezebel and and Ahab's heart, they, they just fall for the empty promise of temptation. Temptation always has its deadly lure right out there in front of you. And it leads us to believe that if we just get what we want, we're gonna be happy. If we just get what we want, no matter what it takes to get there, that we're gonna be fulfilled. And that happiness might last for a moment, but in the end, it will destroy and tear down. And it looks like for the moment that Jezebel and Ahab have won, but they have not. In 2 Kings chapter 9, actually, we're kind of looking back on this moment. Not only did Naboth die, but they also had his two sons killed as well. A removal of anybody, any family right to the land. It's just ruthless. Absolutely ruthless. Naboth the righteous suffered for following and standing on the word of God. It doesn't seem fair, does it? It doesn't seem fair that a man who was doing what was right was murdered for doing something he had no hand in doing. But following the Lord will often bring a certain level of persecution with it. It should be no surprise to us. Jesus said that those who followed him would suffer persecution, as did Peter repeated those words in his letter to the church. He said, do not be surprised, beloved, when the, at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. The story of Naboth kind of reminded me of the story of Stephen in the book of Acts, chapter seven and eight, where he stands and proclaims the word of God and he's stoned to death by the religious leaders of Israel. For speaking the truth. Naboth stood on the word of God. Jezebel and Ahab and the people did not. They had that ticket on the long black train. And it looks as if for a moment that they're going to win. But when you hit verse 17, you find out that there's always a response to sin. There's always a response to sin. You look at verse 7 and here's that response that when God says that is enough. Look at verse 17. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, 
who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth there where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, in the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick lick your own blood. Ahab said to Elijah, ha, have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and will cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, for the anger to which you have provoked me, and because you have made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel, the Lord also said, the dogs shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat, and anyone of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. Aren't you glad you came to church today? This is the word of God, friends. This is real stuff. We need to understand. This is real stuff because it's going to set up the end of the story. God's man entered the scene, Elijah. Elijah, we hadn't seen, if you've been reading along and tracking, you haven't seen Elijah in a, in a little while, but he's back, revived, rejuvenated. Elijah the prophet, and this time he's found Ahab. Rather than Ahab and Jezebel chasing him, he's chasing them. And here he is called to go stand before Ahab one last time and deliver an extremely serious judgment against Ahab for the sins that he has committed, he and Jezebel both. And Elijah obeyed the command of the Lord, and he goes to Ahab. Friends, God is not unaware of the events happening in your life. He knows exactly what's going on in there. The eyes of the Lord, Proverbs 15.3 says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Notice what Elijah said to him in verse 20. You've sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Ahab sold himself out. He's a sellout. He's not all in. He's all out. Ahab, it says in other chapters of this very book, Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. In the very same chapter, chapter 16, he said, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. This is a real man. This is a real sinner. But his sin is not any greater than my sin. My sin is just as evil because it hurts and grieves the heart of God. And it goes against him. Same with your sin. The enemy, the destroyer of Ahab, Elijah, says, dude, your royal dynasty is over. You have stoked God one too many times. And now the time is here. This is enough. Now, we hit verse 25. And something interesting happens. Verse 27. When Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days. But in his son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. (laughs) 
I would wonder this morning if you are sold out or if you have bought in. And by buying in, I mean you don't do something to earn salvation, but you trust Christ. The sin of covetousness, Paul equated with idolatry. Ahab and Jezebel, Ahab's repentance isn't one that lasts very long. Chapter 22, everything that Elijah said would happen, happens. Later, 2 Kings chapter 9, Jezebel, she is actually, yes, eaten by dogs, just like Elijah said it would happen. You cannot take sin lightly. Last week I called you to fight against it, to stand against it, standing on the word of God and in prayer, and we see the destructive nature of sin in our life. It tears relationships apart. It tears families apart. It ruins churches. It ruins all kinds of places and people around us. Paul equated covetousness with idolatry which kind of brings us back around to the top of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. And if you take it lightly, it will absolutely eat you alive. One of the reasons that we struggle as Christians with sin, especially that of covetousness, is because we're not praying as we should. Really seeking the Lord on our knees, fighting this battle on our knees. But the reason we go chasing after other things and other gods is because our heart is sold out to them, just like Ahab. We're following the voice of Jezebel in chapter 22, leading up to that there's 400 prophets that Ahab summons before he goes into battle. All 400 of them tell Ahab exactly what he wants to hear, that God is for him. And there's one, the 401st, his name is Micaiah. He comes in and he says, no, it's not going to happen that way. In fact, Ahab didn't even want this dude to come because he said, Micaiah's going to come. He never says anything positive about me. Hey, yeah, there's people. We'll go find a church. We'll go find somebody that will tell us something good about us so we leave feeling better. We'll go, we'll go chase those voices all day long so we can get built up. But the reality is, if you're in your sin, you're not going to be built up to what you need to hear. You need to know that in your sin, if you die today, you will spend eternity in hell if you are apart from Christ. Beloved, there is victory in the Lord, I say. There is victory in the Lord. That is where we find the release from our sin. How we overcome it is because Christ has overcome it on the cross. So we can either be sold out like Ahab and Jezebel, or we can buy into what Christ is telling us and selling us, which is that he gave his life on the cross and his blood cleanses us from our sin. If Ahab had done that, if he had turned his heart fully trusting God to provide everything he needed, we would have found a different Ahab in chapter 22, but he's not. He's like a dog that's returning to his own vomit. He turns right around back to the old lifestyle and ultimately he finds that judgment from God. But we hear that song again. I can hear that whistle from a mile away. It sounds so good, but I've got to stay away. That train is a beauty making everybody stare, but it's on a destination to the middle of nowhere. But there's victory in the Lord. Listen to what Paul says about covetousness. He says that sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be even named among you 
as is proper among the saints. Put to death, therefore, Paul says, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. In the parable of the sower is captured in Mark chapter 4, the gospel of Mark. Jesus says this, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. There is covetousness right there. They enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. If you let sin reign in your body, it will have its day and you will meet your end. Beloved, you don't have to because Christ has paid for that on the cross. We've got to do what Ahab did, but we've got to turn our heart to Christ and repent of our sin. That's the hope that we have, and the hope that we only have is in Christ. That is the grace that we need. And did you know that God responds when we repent? He responds to us. You cannot out God's grace. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Grace, grace, marvelous grace. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Dark is a stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide, brighter than snow you may be today. Friends, God is willing to respond when his people repent of their sin. Even the repentance of a great sinner like Ahab and like Pastor Chris. It is in these moments that our heart, which is deceitful, will lie to us, causing, to be, causing us to believe that somehow our sin is beyond the hope of repentance that is offered, the mercy that is offered at the foot of the cross. And we remember in this moment how Ahab tore his clothes, reacted in this way, and God responded. And we repent again. I would ask that you look up to the heavens just as our choir sang. You look up to the heavens. You look up to where your help comes from. For your help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. And that you'd call out to him this morning. Because someday, it may be today, it may be tomorrow, it may be another thousand years, but someday God is going to say, that's enough. Please don't leave this morning thinking that there will never be a payday for your sins or mine. They're either going to be paid for when he says that's enough or you're looking back at the cross, my friend, and you say that's where they were paid for. Look to the cross. Beloved, you need to know that Jesus loves you, that God will receive you if you will trust in Jesus that the price has already been paid there. But you've got to trust in what he's done for you. You've got to be all in in Christ. Friends, don't sell out your heart to the world. When Christ was on the cross, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that he would never have to turn his back on one of his adopted children. 
This is our hope, provided by the marvelous grace that is greater than all of our sin.